Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Fenners. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by Marcus Partridge in a pear tree. To be more like Marcus, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show, become an official sponsor, get bonus content and grow the show today. You're listening to The Marler Show. It isn't on the radio. It's a podcast, fool. You listen anywhere you go. The Joe Marler Show. Joe, I'm going to cut to the chase. There's a game that we played a number of months ago on this show, and I would like to play it again. It's a game called... Can you remember how the jingle goes? How, 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 how many, how, how, how many is, is too many, how, 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 how many is too many, 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 many. How many is too many spoons in the cutlery drawer? Big spoons, little spoons. Combination of. You can give me your split. Wait, you mix yours. What's your drawer look like? Oh, it makes me feel physically sick every time I open it. Well, your cutlery drawer? Yeah. Is it? Is it got a, a sorter in it? Well, nominally, but everything's spilled. It's got so much in there that you can barely shut the drawer, particularly if the prongs on the fork have been so placed that they jam against the yeah the roof of the drawer. It's so disorganised, so messy. I honestly feel sick when I see it. What's the most obscure item in your cutlery drawer? Chopstick. What? Why have you got chopstick? I don't want chopsticks in there. You need to ask Murph this question. Do you use chopsticks at home? No. Again, you need to ask this to Murph because I'm very much with you. Murph's not here, mate. You're here. I'm asking you. Without wanting to be too Paxman, I'm asking you a question. How many spoons is too many? I've got... We have people over... You never have people over. We don't have people over. <laughs> uh, we've, we need six. Sometimes they end up getting stuck in the freezer. I found freezer? One, found one in the freezer. A in spoon. the ice cream the other day. What? Someone had just yeah. abandoned the spoon. Yeah, it's just fucked it off back in there. Put the lid back on. Put the lid back on and fucked it off back in the freezer. I was like, right, okay. <laughs> Teaspoons, we need a lot in our house. So uh, we need 11. 12 is too many. What are the big spoons called? Dessert spoons. Dessert. Why? Because you might eat a dessert with them. But you eat more than a dessert with a dessert spoon. So well, the soup spoon called? is rounder, isn't it? All spoons are round. <laughs> the soup spoon is a is a more round. Here's spoon. an interesting fact. Mm-hmm. All spoons <laughs> are cutlery, <laughs> but not all cutlery <laughs> are spoons. Is that, that's actually correct. <laughs> But so much less interesting than your face would indicate. Didn't say it. it was an interesting fact. This isn't a how many is too many question, but it's a subset of an existing question. Do you have a favourite teaspoon? Like if you reach into the cutlery drawer, mm. you've got eight teaspoons. Is there one you just, that's my, that's my boy. Yeah, it's actually one of the four kids plastic ones yeah. that we bought for Felix. And it's a lime green one, similar to the hat that I've got on now. 
and the smoothness. Yeah, mouthfeel. Oh, it's great. It's the size of it. It's yep. not too big, not too small. Great amount of stuff you could put on it. Carrying capacity. Great. Just comfy to hold. There was this other one that was a bit, always gave me a weird taste after. I think Ugh. it was like proper metal. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, you don't want proper metal. It gives that aftertaste. Because I was having issues with the different spoons, I uh, I actually subscribed to a <laughs> spoon magazine. <laughs> If you have a favourite spoon, please take a photo and send it to us on social media for a feature that we will never use. In the meantime, shall we get a guest on, Joe? I Go on then. Today's guest is Dr. Becky Smethurst. She is an astrophysicist who specialises in black holes. <laughs> Becky, hello and thank you for coming. But can I just suggest that before we actually speak... Mm -hmm. about the subject that we maybe have a two or three minute amnesty where Joe can just get everything off his chest mm -hmm. about the phrase black holes. I don't need to. I don't need to. Don't, don't show me up like that. I don't need oh, to. Oh, you can. Honestly, I once put a video out called Hairy Black Holes. <laughs> and <laughs> Becky, you're on the right show. I literally like completely innocently didn't think anything of it. And the entire comment section was Joe's face right now. <laughs> Any thoughts on hairy black holes, Joe? My thoughts are, you are a doctor. Is that a real doctor or is that like on a form where you get to choose, you get to choose what, you, what you are? Because I haven't met a doctor that has ever done an innuendo on hairy black holes. It's a PhD rather than a medical doctor. It's just like Ross in Friends. Oh, it's like PhD. Ross in Friends never said hairy black holes. No, he didn't. <laughs> right, the silliness is out of me. There might be is an it? occasion. Yeah, there's a... Sure. Yeah, like that. Okay, we'll see. So, there might be an occasional slip up back into a black hole. <laughs> slip back into a... Oh, I can't help it. All jokes aside, what on earth is an astrophysicist? So I like to describe it as someone who answers questions that we don't know the answer to yet about space. That's ideal. How has that answer confused <laughs> the question? What? <laughs> Just a warning for listeners... There's going to be a fair few what's, I can feel it in my bones, maybe a fair few what the fucks and maybe a fair few silences because that was the opening answer to the opening question <laughs> and I don't know how to All right, so I, I study stuff in space, right? Okay. Everyone was like, what's the point? What do you actually do? Yeah. I'm like, well, there's stuff we still don't know, stuff we haven't figured out yet. So that's my job is to figure out the stuff we still don't know. Okay, that, that now now that I've taken time to actually process, yeah, process that and not think of different innuendos, <laughs> um, and actually make yeah. some eye contact with you. I understand yeah. the answer now. Joe, we, we always do a lot of research on this show, um, by which I mean that we look at Wikipedia. <laughs> In preparation um, for today's discussion about black holes, mm -hmm. Becky, I've put black hole in Wikipedia and. I have to be honest, there's not a single sentence, even in the opening <laughs> introduction, that I understand. All right. Let's so let's go on. through this. Just to clarify before yeah. moving on, you specialise in black holes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's okay. my research. It's so, like growth of black holes. <laughs> <laughs> I threw that one in there just for you. <laughs> Over to you, And sentence number one. <laughs> on Wikipedia's entry on black holes. A black hole is a region of space-time. Mm -hmm. I'm stuck already. Mm -hmm. Space-time. Just space. It's fine. Okay. A black hole is a region of space, not time, where gravity is so strong that nothing, 
no particles or even electromagnetic radiation such light. as light mm -hmm. can escape from it. Joe, does that make any sense to you? All I'm seeing is myself getting into bed. <laughs> and I've got 15, 20 minutes, maybe half hour before I shut my eyes and go to sleep. And sometimes I'll just have a quick flick on my phone on Candy Crush. Mm-hmm. And the level... Sorry, we're back in like 2008 right now. I know. It's come back around. Come back okay. around. Very I'm really into it now. And the level I'm on, I'm on 72 at the minute. Don't want to brag about it, but Big I'm on level 72. Up. And there's a little section in it where they've got black holes. Yeah, it's... See? You, I don't think I got to that high no, level. No, there you go. If I should have kept playing. I would have got into and it. And in this, some of the candy drops through this black hole mm -hmm. and then comes out of another black hole. Mm-hmm. And that is my knowledge of black mm -mm. holes. See, that would be a wormhole. The right, fact that it so went they're different, else. are they? Yeah, completely different. So a black hole is something, if something fell in, it would never come back out. So I like to describe them as like prisons for light, Ooh. like a permanent prison. That's how I like to think of it. Joe, I'm going to give you the second sentence uh, from Wikipedia's entry on black holes, see if it makes any more sense to either of us. <clears throat> the theory of general relativity predicts that a sufficiently compact mass can deform space-time to form a black hole. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you understood that, did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's talking about Einstein's stuff. So Einstein, back in like the early 20th century, like 1912, I think it was, he said, yeah, Newton's ideas on gravity. <laughs> Tosh. They can't actually describe a lot of stuff that we see in the universe. We need a better idea of how to describe gravity. And he said, you can essentially think about gravity as if, like, take a, a bed sheet and stretch it taut, or a trampoline or something like that, and chuck a football, maybe. Can't be a rugby ball, unfortunately, because it's not the right shape, but chuck a football in the middle, and it will, like, depress the center of the trampoline, right? It'll, it'll squish it down. And so basically, he said, when you have mass in the universe, so Earth, or the sun, or a star. That's essentially what it's doing to space around it, is curving it. So that anything then traveling around that will travel on this curved path. So you can imagine if you then grabbed a ping pong ball and sent it rolling on your trampoline, and you set it just in the right place, it would just go in this perfect circle around the football in the middle, right? You know, you could spend days doing it, right? Like a trick shot almost, trying to get it like perfectly going around in a circle. And that's how you can describe like Earth's orbit around the sun. And he basically came up with the maths to say, okay, depending on how heavy something is, this is how much like space would get curved by it. And if you take that to the extreme by saying get heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier, eventually you get something that's so heavy that not even light has enough energy to like claw its way out of the big depression that it puts into space. <sighs> Do you want sentence number three? I'm not going to do the whole Wikipedia. Is it from Wikipedia? Yeah, but listen to this one because it's just baffling me. The boundary of no escape is called the event horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, Joe? The boundary, boundary of no, no escape, escape. Mm -hmm. is so you called... You can't get out. Yeah. It's called the event horizon. Picture it like the edge of the Grand Canyon. The boundary of no I've, escape. I've never been. Well, okay. Uh, Cheddar Gorge? I don't know. <laughs> 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 Not been there either. Not been there, all right. Um, all right. Hang on, there's a pond in Darch's Wood up near where I live mm -hmm. and the pond drops off into like a, a ravine. Right. So I'm there. Yeah, so like you're walking along and then if you accidentally go over that edge of that ravine, right, you'll fall down into the ravine and then you might not, 
you're a bit of a struggle to get back out probably you'll probably manage it I wouldn't right to get Old back Mr. out um, and that's the idea is that it's the boundary at which point you you wouldn't be able to escape because you'd need to be traveling faster than the speed of light which right. is 300,000 kilometers a second and that's the fastest speed that is in the entire universe nothing can travel faster than it so therefore nothing can escape a black hole when it crosses that point of like no return say some words Joe <laughs> <laughs> what is a black hole? <laughs> Shall we have a question from Kate? Kate would like to know, Darren, what's the biggest forward slash weirdest thing someone has stolen or tried to steal? Oh, no, that's a good question. Oh, this is making me I feel mean, sick. You used to <laughs> next up, didn't you? <laughs> well, to be fair, trophy hunters. Yeah. People get into a hotel, become kleptomaniacs. People who steal things. But is it stealing? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> or is it souvenirs? Well, souvenirs of a good night out but or what, a good night in. Where's Where's the contract <laughs> part of this? This and I remember an episode of Friends where Chandler and Joey or Ross or something they're nicking all the free apples at reception or all the toiletries. <laughs> where's the fine print that determines what is? free to take and what isn't because i've never read a fine print contract staying in a hotel so i've just taken it as anything in the hotel is mine all oh, right <laughs> that's a good way to look at life <laughs> it's probably one of those if you think you shouldn't you're best not to you know shampoo yeah yeah telly best not to slippers correct they only go in the bin particularly these days so you can take the slippers without correct. fear of reprisal that's your thing they're Hair, disposable hair dryer Best lived out there. Oh. Robe. One of the most stolen things is the bathrobe. Yeah, why is that not stealable? Because it's bloody expensive. <laughs> well, don't fucking put them out then. If you don't want them nicked, don't put them out. Anything that we would expect to use again, we'd rather you left it in the room. What do you think is the most stolen item in a hotel? What would you think? Toilet rolls. Batteries out the remote. Fuck off. Not even thought about that. Who the fuck is nicking batteries? I will now. I've mentioned you two for a start. That's that's a really good point. And it's beyond annoying because I guess telly, you get into a room, most people put the kettle on, use the bathroom, put the telly on. Telly doesn't work, complaint comes in. Someone's nicked the batteries. <laughs> Pathetic. I've never <laughs> considered nicking the batteries, but now that I've remembered how expensive batteries you are... You never need to buy another battery. On Joe Marler's show. T'was the night before Christmas, and Santa and Elf were still processing last-minute requests. Hello, Santa. Oh, have we finished yet? Nearly. Oh, fuck, he's got another list. This one's just come in, Santa. It's from a listener to the Joe Marler Show. <laughs> the hit podcast? I've heard it's excellent. What are they asking for? They would like a ticket to the Joe Marler Show live at a London Palladium. Now, where can we get one of those, Santa? Oh, the, the link is in the episode description. Great tick. They also want a Joe Marler show bubble hat. Where do we keep those? The link is in the episode description. <sighs> Tick number two. Uh, finally, they would like one pair of Joe Marler show socks. <sighs> Guess what? Right, so all the links for live show tickets, bubble hats and socks are in the episode description. That makes it really easy. 
Uh, it's a good system. I've been doing this for a while now. You're the best centre. I am. Elf. Why don't you get two of those London Palladium tickets for you and Mrs. Elf? Um, Mrs. Elf has left me, Santa. Oh dear. Yeah, she says I work too hard. Awkward. You could come with me though, Santa. Fuck. How am I going to get out of this? Elf stares longingly into Santa's eyes, trying to capture the magic of Christmas. When is it? April. Fuck, I've got no excuse. And neither have you, dear listener. The Joe Marler Show, live at the London Palladium. Tickets on sale now, because you've got nothing better to do. Okay, okay, I'll come. I'll I'll come with you. Yay! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Santa. But because it's the Palladium, and I hear their first live show was very good, not because I like you more than any other of the elves. It'll be our little secret, Santa. God, I hate secret Santa. Our guest today has been held hostage by Somali pirates. His name is Colin Freeman. Welcome. We just to clarify. We we are just normal people. We haven't <laughs> coaxed you into a secret Somali hostage situation again. And I'm looking at you now. I'm pretty sure you could handle us anyway. Don't know about that. We are stuck in a sort of dank basement, though. Yeah. Oh, well, God. not dank. Yeah, we're. <laughs> it's yeah. Oh God, I've been. It's a bit hostage, isn't it? Small dark room. Yes, I'm used to spending lots of time in small dark uh, chambers with uh, men I've not met before. But, um. <laughs> right. So this, this as an opening statement, you were kidnapped by Somali pirates. How the fuck did that happen? Yeah, I was a reporter for the Sunday Telegraph, chief foreign correspondent indeed, and my job was travelling around the world, um, you know, covering stories as they broke, etc, etc. And in about 2008, the Somali piracy crisis started, um, where Somali pirates were going out attacking shipping, and I think later, later that year, they hijacked a big oil tanker worth about $100 million, which was their equivalent of hijacking a sort of Spanish galleon full of gold would have been in the old days. So the officer said, can you go to Somalia and find out a bit about how these pirates operate and what the local people think of them, so on and so forth. So off we went. The idea was we would go to this town called Basasso, which is a town on the northern Somali coast, where... You won't see Long John Silver wandering down the road um, with his parrot on his <laughs> shoulder, but you're, you're close to the You're on the pirate coast, and there are pirate camps up and down the, the coastline on this very long, empty, remote coastline where there's you know not much law and order. And you in Basasso itself, which is quite a poor, run-down port town, um, you see evidence a bit of pirate money. You sort of get a sense that things are going on. And so what you do is you, to stop yourself getting kidnapped, you hire bodyguards, usually through your local translator or fixer. As you do, yeah. These are not SAS bodyguards. Uh, These are not sort of highly trained men. Um, They are kind of usually your fixer's clansmen or your fixer's cousins or your fixer's cousin's friends or your fixer's friend's cousins, seven or eight guys, all with Kalashnikovs. 
um, you pay them about 20 bucks a day each and you have to hope that they will, you know, be enough to kind of keep other people at bay. It's a bit like the scarecrow principle, basically. If you've got enough armed men hanging about, most people will think twice about doing anything. So your bodyguards, Colin, you're trusting them, but not totally trusting them, which, as it turns out, is the right approach. Yes, uh, we were there for about seven days, didn't meet any pirates at that point, uh, driving to the airport. So we're in one pickup truck, the bodyguards and another one driving behind us. Then all of a sudden, the as we're driving through a kind of town square somewhere on the outskirts of Basasso, their pickup truck shoots ahead of us, blocks our path. Two of the bodyguards jump out. I remember seeing one of them grabbing his gun, big snarl on his face. And they argue it. They start shouting at our driver. Um, this is me and my fellow hostage, a guy called Jose, who you might hear about more later, a photographer from Spain. They start shouting at the uh, driver in Somalia. I'm thinking maybe they're just having an argument about which way to go. or Traffic, you know, that's why he's yeah. got his gun. <laughs> yeah, and just making the point rather emphatically. Then they opened the doors of the car and they ordered us, ordered us out and I could tell they were being a bit aggressive, feet hit the floor, still wondering a bit about what's going on. And then when they opened the boot of the car, my fellow hostage said, ah, shit. And I suddenly realised, mm, yeah, we are getting kidnapped. Uh, this must have been planned all along. And that was the moment that it all started, really. Now, this may seem like a strange question, but bear in mind you've just described your line of work. It was your job to go out and discover these sort of stories in these places. At that moment, was there a small part of you that was actually, cool, this will make a good story? (laughs) Or was Uh, it just completely overwhelmed with, oh, fucking hell, I'm not making it out of this one? A bit of both, actually, yeah. Uh, Maybe not at that moment. At that initial moment, you're just like, oh, no. No, no, no. no. Uh, Running's not an option. All that thought of, like, you know, all this fun, glamorous going around the world, you know, going to Iraq or Afghanistan or going to war zones and stuff and then coming back and telling, writing the stories in the paper and also the the pub stories and everything else of, you know, we did this, did that, you know. All sounds fun. And then you suddenly think, oh, no, I've, I've bitten off a little bit more than I can choose and quite apart from the fears for your own safety at that point and what is going to happen you suddenly think all right shit i've now dragged everybody else into it because this is going to mean my parents are going to be worried sick my girlfriend is going to be worried sick everybody who knows me is going to be worried sick and some the office my employers are going to be worried sick you know and i've now dragged them into this as well so you actually think like you you selfish tit all those years <laughs> i love the fact around, you've you got, know, got a yeah. bloke with a kalashnikov point at your face and your first thought is oh you selfish, selfish tit, tit. But first few, first few minutes, actually not quite. This came in within about ten fifteen minutes as we're getting driven away. So what, was the, what was the first uh, few minutes thoughts? First like- few minutes thought is like they're pointing a gun at me. Uh, shit, we are getting kidnapped. Should have seen this one coming. It was bound to happen sooner or later. Oh dear. And then basically, you do. I just did exactly what I was told. I mean, you know, with hindsight, you sort of thought, well, maybe I should have. We're still in a relatively built-up area. Maybe you should have run away. Uh, if you'd made a sprint for it, I'm fairly fit. You could perhaps, shouting and screaming, you could have maybe attracted a crowd, a commotion, and perhaps the gunman would have you know, lost their nerve and put a scarpet or whatever. Or shot uh, you. Or they could have shot you. 
or more likely you'd have just got a, a, a gun barrel in the face and you'd have had a you know a black a nasty black eye and a bit of trauma to add to what else was going on and also frankly like when someone's pointing a gun at your stomach it's just like yep 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 i'll just do whatever you say you know sort of like that and they they could have told us to change the tire on the car and you know kind of pump up the tires a bit and wash the windscreen before we set <laughs> off i'd have been fine yep you know it's fine you can put your guns down no problem yeah so and we drove out of the town we are in the back of their pickup truck now um one of them's pointing a gun at me uh, Jose, my colleague, is sat in the car as well. And then there's, there's five or six of them in the back of the pickup truck. That's the kind of point at which you start getting a bit introspective and thinking, actually, this is not, you know, I'm just balls this up for myself. This is serious stuff. On Joe show. One of the most difficult things I would imagine about your job is what is known in the business as open talkback. Oh, would you like to first of all tell us what open talkback is and then let's yeah. try and fuck with Joe's head yeah. by giving him open talkback while be he has easy. to do something. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, let's invite people on o- to... Open talkback is like the devil. So you're just trying to... Say you've just been interviewing me for the past five minutes. Yeah. So imagine... You call that interviewing, do you? Yeah, I like cool. it. It's yeah. a casual style. Yeah. Imagine doing that, but then someone's in the back of your head talking to you the whole time. So saying... What, what it is, is it's producer, director, PA. Those are the minimum three that you'll get. So producer is the one that's telling you what he wants you to say necessarily, like go down this route, go down that route. When you get good, you don't need that. And actually, it's better to not have that. Like, you know what you want to ask. You don't need the questions. But you're a beginner, so you need the producer in your ear. Then you've got the director who's saying camera one, camera two, cut to this, cut to that, roll in this, roll in that, blah, 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 blah. And then you've also got the PA who's counting. So she's the one that's going, you've got 30 seconds on this chat, 10 seconds on this chat, five, four, three, two, one, done. They're all talking to you in your head? Yeah, at the same time. Joe. At the same time? Don't you think it'd be yeah. more efficient if they just went, Steve, you go first, <laughs> you say, and then I'll say, it doesn't work like no. that. You haven't got enough time. You need all of the information at once. So Joe, you're going to tell us about your journey into the studio today. Laura, would you like to be producer, director, PA? Which ones would you like to take? I'll take the other one. I'll be producer and PA okay. oh, I'll be director so I'm just talking cameras. through cameras okay yeah. so Joe you start talking as if you are broadcasting about your day me and Laura are going to fuck yeah. with your head okay so what um, you've got to do is 30 seconds without saying um and I'm just upping it sorry no ums 30 seconds yeah, no ums and no ahs or anything like that also it's live TV so no fucks twats, yeah, no fucks or buggers and you've got to tell us how you got here and I'm going to be giving you directions in your ear right Laura you, as PA count him in I'm going to count you down. I'm going to be your PA now, so I've got you. So counting down in five, four, three, one ready. two, one, cue. Good morning, Camera Vietnam. Two, and uh, oh, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> she said the er. Uh, you said no ers. Go again. No, no. Okay, fuck. counting you down in three, two, one. Camera one and two ready. Good morning, Vietnam. Camera one. Welcome to today's no. show. Mandela. I would... Like <laughs> to say camera three. that my day started with uh, Close up camera audience. one. I woke up late. What time did you wake up? After my wife nudged me. Look down two. the right camera. And they went, <laughs> she, she said to me, you are late. You, you know, it's half past six. Move into Joe's and you're, uh, ne- um, you're going to be late for your drag rehearsals. Less of that nose. And, uh, less of the nose. <laughs> Fucking Five, hell. Four, Mate, you can't say, three, you can't insult people. Two, and and have a Joe. wonderful day. <laughs> 
Less of that nose. <laughs> Fuck me. I thought it was meant to be a support network, like helping you out there. You didn't help. You're telling me to look at three different cameras. <laughs> the right camera. Well, how do I know which one's the right camera? It's hard to listen, was it? It was tough. So that happens, does it? Yeah, you can play with the level, so you can have us a bit quieter if it helps. When the first time you did that, you must have shit yourself. Yeah, I did. Massively, yeah. You... But what about doing it now? No. Do you feel polished being able to yeah, do it? Yeah, now it feels weird not having it because you just get used to it. Have you ever had chat, Laura, which it has no practical purpose? Like you might have someone in the gallery talking about what they're having for lunch. Yeah. Oh, the PAs. PAs are a nightmare for that. I'm what does PA like, stand for? Production assistant, I think. So she's literally, she's the one that counts everything. And they're always female? No, not always, oh. but they're majority female. But okay. they're not always, so yeah. If I was a PA and I really didn't like the <laughs> presenter, I remember doing it to my maths teacher. In fact, all of us did it. It was really... And now I look back on it, it's, it's bullying. We bullied <laughs> our maths teacher. I think we were what like... What did you do? We all decided to hum. Oh. The classic. Like, we were just... Mm, so that's what I'd be doing. I'd be in your ear just going... Mm, <laughs> so annoying. And you go, excuse me, what's that noise? I've got some interference in my head. And I'll be like, don't know, I can't hear it. Sorry, Laura, you'll have to just... Mm, Carry on. So specifically, the definition of a drainage engineer is to navigate or design the navigation system of how my turd yep. leaves the toilet yep. from my house yep. under my house. Does under, it go under, under, my under, house? Under, we'll go under your house, yeah. In the garden. Maybe. And then... And then connect to then just fuck off. So you're basically <laughs> yeah. designing like a highway for shit. Uh, yeah, do, do you know what? I've never heard it like that. It's fucking brilliant, that is. Yeah, a highway you, for so shit. So you do like regularly, you're designing the M25 under people's houses for their turds. Yep. Left, right. Essentially, yeah. How big is that? Because how many, how many, how many shits are you going to do? So I need to, that's, that's how big the pipe's going to be. Well, let's <laughs> straight to where I'd like to know more here. I'd love that. That's definitely one of your questions. You go in, talk to your client. You go, um, excuse me, just a, just a couple of um, queries here. Uh, uh, just uh, what, what size? How many bedrooms do you have? Okay, yeah. Uh, how many people are in the uh, property? Yeah, okay. Oh, six options. Oh, okay, children, adults. Okay. Um, how, how regular are your movements? <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> what, uh, how regular are your, your movements, sir? What do you mean by movements? Like back in my, How many turds are you taking a day? And at what size are you walking away from? Please tell me they're the questions you ask. I would love to say yes. <laughs> but no, I can't ask those questions. I'd be, I'd be sacked on the spot. But those things you talk about, how many, how, many, how many bathrooms have you got? How many people live in your house? From that, I could not. I'm not going to determine how many shits you're going to do, but I could but determine. I could determine how many liters of water th that property is going to use during one day, and then you could calculate. Okay, say you've got that's one property, but there's hundred neighbours, so you've got to add them all up, and then that's how big your pipe's going to be. And it's surprisingly not as big as you'd think for something that small. A hundred houses is not a huge development. Just if you can indicate with your your hands. Yeah. Warren, we'll try and describe the shape that you're making, the, the aperture of a pipe for not only Joe's turds, but for a hundred neighbours of Joe. A hundred neighbours of Joe, about that. So you're just you're basically putting That's your four big. fingers... About 150 millimetres. So you basically, there you put your two thumbs together and your four fingers yeah. and you made a circle. I mean, Joe, when we're talking about your own pipes, that's, I mean... I'll be honest, mate, that, that shape of your hand you're making is 
quite often the size of my noose um, <laughs> when I am there. So, so fucking hell. You've got some design work going on if you're around my, pal- my place. Does all shit flow to the sea? Well, all shit flows downhill, and most of the sea is normally downhill. Most rivers are downhill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, essentially... It's not no, many no, uphill no, rivers, no, it's true. No, no, not everything ends up at sea, but what, what happens is, especially in the likes of London, you've got this old Victorian sewer system you know that flows big massive brick built pipes apertures for everyone they're bigger than, they're bigger oh, than stick him on the list yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it can only take so much and it's all combined with surface water foul water it's got to flow somewhere when it's a really heavy storm that water that pipe fills up and it overflows into the Thames oh 50, apparently, according to Thames Water's website, 50 times a year at the moment, the, the drains next to the Thames overflow into it 50 times a year, releasing raw sewage into the Thames, straight into the Thames. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's the last time I'd go for a dip in the Thames. They are, they are doing something about that. In the fact that they're building a big super a super sewer, they're calling it a super a super sewer. A super sewer. So this super is- sewer. <laughs> so, why do I think of um, what's that song? Go, Abba. Super sewer, going picking up your shit. Is that the song? Super trooper, yeah. Super pooper. Pooper super. Sorry, Warren. That's fine. I like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's they're classified as a super sewer. It's it's called the Thames Tideway Tunnel. It's it's essentially 15 miles long. It's the width of I think three or four London buses. Oh, you get heaps of shit down there. Yeah, and it's built under being bored underneath the River Thames. Uh, it's been it's finished, or it's not quite operational, but I know that all the tunnelling is finished. And what that will do is intercept all the flows. And take it straight to a treatment centre. So rather than having 50 times a year the water going into the Thames, it turned into maybe two or three times, depending on when, the, when, when it rains. This is huge news. This episode is sponsored by the following merry people. Joy to the world, it's John Bradford. Candy Kane, Andy Walker, the elf on the shelf, John Sheldrake. Silent night, sigh, wait soon. Grant, crack open a Bailey's. Gold, frankincense, and Simon Burr. Step into Christmas, John Harrow eating. Secret Santa, Sean Kerry. Can may your Christmases be white? And the Christmas bells, Mel Shalloway. To be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show, become an official sponsor, and grow the show today. I've got something for you. It's called Fox in Socks by okay. Dr. Seuss, mm-hmm. also known as Zeus or Zeus. How would you say it, Dr.? Well, you said it the right way, haven't you? Okay, I would like you. I was reading this the other night. <laughs> Fucking. Just for your own amusement? No, with Maggie, and it was so hard, mate. It was like, fucking hell. And then there's this one bit, and I went, I want Tom to do that. Okay? So you're going to pass me the Fox in the Socks by Dr. Zirth. Yeah. I'm just going to read the page that you give me. You read this page. The right-hand page. Yeah. This screen, and then and then I want you to read this page. Any stairs whatsoever? It's got no, a rhyme no, or... Don't. You just have to read it. Normal voice? No, pre, no pre-reading. 
Just go. Well then. <laughs> well then, bring your mouth this way. I'll find it something it can say. Turns the page to the next page. How have you made that so inappropriate? Go. <laughs> Luke Luck likes lakes. Luke's duck likes lakes. Luke Luck licks lakes. <laughs> Luke's duck licks lakes. What the fuck is this? Keep going. Duck takes licks in lakes Luke Luck likes. Luke Luck takes licks in lakes ducks like. <laughs> what? <laughs> right, you do the same thing, and I'm going to guess how many times you say the word dick. <laughs> Right, I'm going to write it down on the piece of paper in front of me. You're going to say those words, and then I'm going to turn over the piece of paper and ah, see if I get... Well then, bring your mouth this way. I'll find it something it can say. Luke Luck likes lakes. Luke Stucks likes lakes. Luke Luck licks lakes. Luke Stick fuck likes dicks. <laughs> two. Duck takes licks in lakes. Luke Luck's dicks. Three. Luke Luck's dikes. <laughs> fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Luke like Luke Luck takes licks in duck in lakes duck likes. So mate, to be fair, you semi cheated because why you read it slowly. You went Luke Luck likes lakes. So I'm there reading it with Maggie, and I get all of it is not only is it hard to read anyway, but what the fuck was going through Doctor Seuss's mind mouth <laughs> when he comes up? Luke Luck likes lakes. Luke Stucks like. Yeah, how many times did I say dick? You said it three times. My estimate, Joe... Was four dicks. Four dicks. So you did well. I had lots of chuckles. Maggie had lots of chuckles with me getting it wrong all the time. But How many times did you say the phrase sucks dicks to your <laughs> young daughter? It was There was a lot. There was a lot, but the, it went under the radar because clearly she's not about that life. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today is Chris, and he is a bomb disposal specialist. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much, Joe. It's good to be here. It says here you, you've just returned from a 14-week trip in Iraq. Well, I left, um, I left the army after about an 18-year career. About three years ago, went back into bomb disposal with an NGO, Charities, and I've uh, been working in Iraq, Syria, Libya, and then back in Iraq for the last year. So I do usually 14 weeks out there and then come back home for a couple of weeks leave and then go back again. So this is nuts. Well, I just, what, what's going on out there to then be... Yeah, they, yeah. Is this no, years great. ago, old bombs yeah, or new bombs that have been... There's always conflicts in Iraq. You know, it's it's a mad place. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's the cradle of civilization, Babylonia, all that sort of stuff. But it's, um, you know, the most recent conflict. We've had two wars there. Britain has been involved in two wars there. Um, but ISIS, really, that was the most recent one. And they, they kind of got smashed by an Iraqi coalition and an international coalition in 2018. But they, they produce bombs on a, you know, a gargantuan scale. It was massive. They're everywhere. So improvised explosive devices, we call them. And they're all over rural land. They're in towns and cities as well. So um, the uh, Iraqi armed forces deal with them and then loads of charities. Guys like myself go out there and, uh, yeah, we're still clearing them. There's still tens of thousands to do. So let's say, Chris, uh, that Joe for... Um Bizarre reasons, there's been some terrible administrative cock-up and Joe is out with you in Iraq and you get reports of an IED. As Joe travels with you to the location, what happens next? 
Well, if we survive the car drive, because the most dangerous thing in Iraq is driving in a car. They're, they're mad at driving. And they, you know, they'd forgive me for saying that because they oh, are crazy. I'm sorry. I thought you meant because there's loads of <laughs> mines and it. shit. No, here, just, just, just really, really bad drivers. drivers yeah. Right, excellent. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. So when you get to the area, we have teams of, uh, of searchers, as we call them. They go there and they, they go out with metal detectors and, and the other equipment and they mark up the, uh, the devices or boxes around the devices. And then you and I would go forward, Joe, and uh, we'd go and do a quick confirmation with the metal detector and then um, get down on our belt buckles and uh, funny old thing, you get a paintbrush out and you paint the sand literally because you're exposing the, uh, the device. You know, you've marked out exactly where it is. There might be a metal pressure plate, like a, you know, literally two, two bits of metal come together, it goes bang, and then a big main explosive charge. And you work your way down, exposing it all until you find the detonator and then you start taking it apart, basically. Right, and you just say it as casual as that, do you? Yeah, we get there, we lie on our bellies, <laughs> brush it down, and that'll be it. Like, crack what on. the fuck? <laughs> Sh- like, back to the equipment bit that we spoke about earlier. Sh- are you not, like, head-to-toe in something that can, like, protect you? Right. If I'm honest with you, the uh, developed countries, you know, the Western nations, the British military, they all have the uh, the Hurt Locker suits that you're, you're now familiar with, Joe, yeah? Thank you, yep. And, um, and they have robots, and they have, you know, multi-million pound equipment. Um, really good cutting-edge stuff. In places like Iraq, they just don't have the resources, they don't have the money, the funding, and the scale of the, the IEDs that are out there, the bombs that are out there, you know, they need so many charities to help as well. There just isn't the funding. So, no, we go in a bit of body armour. If the device goes bang when you're on your belt buckle next to it, there's going to be nothing left of you. You know, you will be vaporised. So, um, yeah, we go light, go slow and low, and it's a pair of snips, a paintbrush. The metal detector is really useful, obviously, that's great. And 25 years of knowledge and experience, obviously, that all helps. I spoke to a friend of mine who knows a thing or two about bomb disposal before this, and he was saying, oh, you want to ask about the suits that they wear or can wear as a bit of protection, but ultimately, and the way he described it, I was like, that's really morbid. He went, ultimately, if you're that close to it and it goes off and you're wearing this suit, the only thing it's going to do is make sure that you're in one piece, but you'll be dead. And I went... What, what do you mean? He was like, well, you know, at least it'd be nice that you're still all together. And I'm like, what the fuck? What's the point in wearing the suit then, mate? Well, we might be nicer for a, the funeral or something like that. I'm like, right, I think we need to move quickly on from that one. <laughs> um, he also brought up that, did you say you got a team? So you'll yes, have a yeah. team. You always work in teams, yeah. And you first described us as going out to find them. Yeah, so... It depends from country to country. The way we work in Iraq and Syria and Libya, the teams that work against sort of the Islamic State bombs, certainly, the, the recent years, they'll go out there every day and they'll be searching for these devices. And sometimes there's nothing there, um, so we don't need to go. Other times they'll find something and they'll mark it. And then we'll go to whichever teams have found something and uh, we meet them in a, you know, in a central sort of admin area and uh, sit down and have a brew and a cigarette. And then they say, right, follow me. Um, it's over there. So it's a team effort in terms of, you know, you all have different roles and responsibilities, but the operator um, is the one that goes forward. That's what you call a single man risk. And then you go and, uh, you know, get on your belt buckle and go and do the business. Let's say you're on your belt buckle next to Chris. You've got your little paintbrush in hand. Am I got other clothes on other than just my just belt? Just a belt buckle because it's quite warm in Iraq. Right. So yeah, I'm you've got sun cream on your with arms. a belt on <laughs> and a paintbrush. Yeah. This, this doesn't sound right. Daisy never had that fantasy. <laughs> I'll put it to her next time, thanks. <laughs> Body yeah. armour as well. you, you got a, oh, okay, yeah, like yeah. a bulletproof vest. Yeah, okay, yeah. Fine. So how you finish it, as you first uh, move your paintbrush over the sand and you're seeing wires exposed and bits of metal, what's going on in your head? Um, die hard. 
<laughs> one of the lethal weapons. Did that have a bomb in it? Yeah, we'll go with that one. That's what I'm envisaging. And then I go, oh, there'll be three wires when I get down there. One will probably be earth, yeah, which is uh, <laughs> yellow and green with a bit of brown. Yeah. And one will be red. Danger. And one will be blue. And then I'll go with my snippers because I'll have, I'll have my paintbrush and my... Snips. Snips. And then I'll go red one, blue one. It wouldn't be that. And then I'll go, it wouldn't be the red. I think they're going to double bluff me. <laughs> so you cut that one. And then you go with the blue and you go blue. No, nah, nah, fuck it. And then you go back to the red. And then because I'll be sweating so profusely, it'll just drip on it and <laughs> it'll blow up anyway. So I'm fucked. On Joe Marler's show. Do you want me to give you a line to go to the break with? Please. Um, say, coming up after the break, we're going to speak to Harry Redknapp about the England game last night. Harry Redknapp's coming on. And then, and then <laughs> give me a time check. Just say it's like quarter past one or something like that. And also, name check the show. Fucking hell, that's a lot. It is, isn't Three, it? Name check your show. Two, so he's coming one, up. Go. Coming up after the break is Harry Redknapp. Joe, we'll be getting a cup of tea after. So it's stay tuned. Ten, it's nine, quarter past one. Seven. Fuck me. Oh, five. <laughs> 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 That's the only director and producer there. Some ads. Just listen to the ads whilst I gather my shit. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> What's a museum? What's just a collection of random things? So you've really got to think of who's going to want to come to see it. So you could just have a museum at home with loads of random shit in it if you wanted. <laughs> But it maybe then wouldn't fulfil the second part of that criteria of being in the public benefit. So people who want to come to see it, that you've got stories to tell, engaging things. But, I mean, you might do with your stuff from home. So that would be fine too. I'm pleased you brought up the penis museum in Iceland. because I, d- I didn't actually call it a penis museum. You didn't. I called it a phallological museum. I beg your pardon. The Museum of Phallology. <laughs> and I didn't actually know that that was a thing. But I'm so happy it is. Phallology. Yeah, phallology. Yeah, we're all learning something. Yeah. Um, so as a reaction to that, in 2017, um, a vagina museum was actually set up in London. Oh. Whereabouts in London? <laughs> it's currently in Bethnal Green in temporary uh, premises, but they're hoping to find somewhere permanent. There should be a museum of vaginas. Is there a, a follow-up point? Or there should be a, a museum of whatever the fuck you want there to be. Well, do you know, Joe? <laughs> because I've been to a museum in Hobart in Tasmania. And there is something there which is called the Great Wall of Vaginas. And it's 151 plaster casts of actual vaginas. He's having a think about that one. It's also Are they all jo- different? Well, I think, they're re- I think they're real vaginas that have had plaster casts made of them, so I'd say yes. Did you say it's a climbing wall? <laughs> <laughs> that is it? and they have different coloured vaginas for different routes up the wall like a blue easy route no it's not a climbing wall (laughs) I thought that's that's why there was a pause for me when you said it I went fucking hell like how have they angled that I wonder if there's different ways to climb it so that's why I was like, I'm not sure how far we want to go down this route. Because <laughs> I, I know that in the Phallological uh, Museum, there is a wall of plaster cast penises as well. And you can climb that. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean you can, in theory, climb it because you could get a good grip? 
or you're actively encouraged to climb it? No, it's, it's available to climb. But like clipping harnesses and stuff. It's not that fucking high. <laughs> Wait, so, how many penises? You get of that 2.7 sperm whale one. There you well, go. Yeah. That would be quite high, wouldn't it? That's a yeah, good but, start. Fucking hell, you're gonna have, you've got a job on your hands climbing that. Joe, unless he's been practising. I have been practising. Oh, so you're not going to fuck up the intro? <laughs> Let's see how this goes, Chris. I could hear someone's heartbeat. Was that yours? I could hate it. Help me. They're forcing me to do this show. Chris, can you do your own intro? I need your help. (laughs) Say good morning. My name's Chris. Uh, I'm one of the listeners, and I'm here in Joe and Tom's podcast, The Joe Marlow Show. (laughs) He's fucking coming here, and he's schooled you. Fuck off. Yeah, okay, he's nailed it. Like, can't we do that all the time, rather than me having to melt over a one-liner? <coughs> Our guest today is a surgeon called Chris. He's also a listener to the show. He sounds so much better at much doing better. it. Much better. Chris, thank you for doing that. Um, You're welcome. Good you morning. You did that really, really well. I was just talking. I've been practising. He's got a nice voice, Chris. Yeah, I was, that's yeah. my next point. You've got a really good voice. Oh, it's terrible. You know when you hear it back, and I'm like, who's that? He sounds like a right twat. I can tell you now that is a lovely voice, Joe. Okay, thank you. Yeah, he's got a nice voice. Yeah. I like his voice. Uh, but I'm not here to talk to you about your voice. Um, we're here to talk about you being a surgeon. Like a not like a knife surgeon. There's yeah. not like a hidden thing. You're like a proper surgeon, eh? Yeah, standing there, knife in the hand, cutting into people, and hopefully making them better. That's That's the aim of the game. It's quite handy for you, this Joe, isn't it? Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking about <laughs> touching different parts of my body. Chris could replace. Going, oh, can he help me with that bit? Can he help me with that bit? So, and you, you specialise in hips, yeah? Yeah, so hips and uh, from trauma, kind of any of the bones, basically on the on the limbs. So I leave the neck and the back alone. They're a bit complicated for me, but the arm, the leg, and the pelvis are kind of the bread and butter. So broken arms, broken legs, ankles hips that sort of thing and then my area of sort of expertise is is pelvic surgery so the hip joint and the the pelvis which is the ring of the bone at the bottom of the spine what are your tools of choice like what are your go-to because you joked about a hammer and a saw oh they're bog standard kit what yeah what and when you say a hammer i'm a metal mallet solid metal mallet what sort of thing are you doing with a metal mallet so all sorts so sometimes so some of the, my retractors have got a point on the end of them. I put them into the bone and knock them in to go through the bone so I can retract the soft tissues. If you're fixing, a, let's say, like a long bone, like a femur, which is the thigh bone, or the tibia, which is your shin bone, sometimes we'll put a rod all the way down the middle because the bones are sort of hollow. So oh, fuck me, dead. So you make a hole, you get in at the top, you put a guide wire down it, which yeah. is a, looks a bit oh. like long straight coat hanger. Nah. And then the, the nail is hollow, so it's like a hollow metal tube, usually about anywhere between a centimetre in diameter up to about 15 millimetres in diameter, one and a half centimetres, and you knock it down. And you knock that down with a hammer. So we're always using hammers. Like Look how nonchalant it is. Yeah, you knock it down with a hammer. Like, you're knocking a fucking metal rod down some, <laughs> down some poor fucker's fib. Yeah. What, what, my t- a teammate of mine, actually, recently, he snapped his tib fib or whatever, and he's got one it's of got those rod, rods. Yeah down his is it shin bone but i couldn't work it out and he wasn't able to answer me answer me either so maybe an expert will be able to help me where's all the bone marrow go then so the bone marrow are we allowed to talk about products cadbury's crunchy chocolate bar more than fine oh fuck yeah yeah so the more the better okay so your bone is a bit like a cadbury's crunchy the chocolate around the outside is the hard bit of the bone yeah and then the honeycomb on the inside is like the bone marrow down the inside Mm. so it's it is pretty crunchy and soft if your bones were solid you'd weigh an absolute ton 
So the best place to have Maybe that bone us on the is on the outside. Top. Right. So a little bit like bamboo, hollow down the middle. So in older patients, that really is not very dense, and you can usually just put the rod straight down. In younger patients, to get make sure it's big enough, we basically have uh, a drill that go up in different sizes. We put our, over our carbide, and we drill all the way down. So the drill's, I don't know, 50 centimetres long. So you put that all the way down, and it looks like a sort of pretty aggressive corkscrewy drill thing and it's called reaming so we ream out the uh it's called reaming <laughs> <laughs> it's called it's called reaming he's described it as one of the most fucking brutal torture techniques and then just gone yeah it's called reaming i mean luckily they're asleep so we, we don't get pulled up for torture ever had anyone wake mm. up uh i have <gasps> so when i was quite a junior doctor i was assisting a colleague with an operation and it was a patient who was having a an operation on their tummy and they had a general anesthetic and it was like a hernia so that's where the the layers underneath aren't joined together and stuff sort of poking out a bit so we'd gone in i like the medical up. terminology revenue yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tummy. Uh, so i'm an orthopedic surgeon we're, we're not the brightest no, he's, so. he's definitely read our audience that you know yeah. very and similar to ourselves layman as possible yeah please. so you go down and you find those two bits that aren't aren't joined together and you basically stitch them up and that's it and we were halfway through and suddenly at the side of the drape so when you do an operation you enclose the bit you want to operate on and everything else is covered up with sterile drapes and they have sticky edges that you stick down and then and then suddenly there was this rustling under the drape and this hand appeared at the side oh. and the patient basically got swallowed a hand, a hand. no no she oh. got a hand up the side of the drapes and was sort of coming up into our surgical field and was because you know we were guddling around in our tummy so that was not ideal um so the patient has a level of consciousness there to do it but is not conscious and, and can't feel and can't feel no there would have been an awareness of it but she had no no recollection so they increased her anesthesia and she went back to sleep when she woke up she never had any recollection of it and that's the only time i've ever seen it on joe Mahler's show i remember we used to break into the school pool like on a Friday or Saturday night. And Definitely no lifeguard there when you went in, was there? No, actually, and, and in hindsight, it was probably pretty dangerous because a lot of the time we would run across the... <gasps> the cover! ...with the cover. And there was a couple of times where one or two of us would get trapped underneath it and be like, fuck, quick, get out of that, get out of that, and then we'd pull it back eventually and then halfway because it was so fucking big and heavy. What they should? That's I like, mean, it's just a few years back, but... They should make that a lot easier to pull the cover back if you're going to break in. <laughs> Do it. But we'd we'd go lifeguard. We'd go there. Find that in the morning. We'd go there, skinny dipping. It was lovely, great fun there. Like really freeing. There's something you're just mm. all hanging out. You know, that's great. Not great hygiene, but fuck them. <laughs> and uh, the other time was in the sea, really late at night in Thailand. We'd met this Danish couple at a, at a bar, got chatting, and then for some random reason we decided to go skinny dipping as a four hmm. um, in the sea with a load of stray dogs <laughs> that, we'd, <laughs> that we'd started collecting through the night. Specifically for the purposes of the swim or... <laughs> No, that was just a side hustle okay. that they were just coming with it. There was loads of, there's fucking loads the of stray dog dogs. No, no, they were just paddling about in the thing. There was loads of stray dogs in, is it Phuket or Phuket? Phuket. Phuket, yeah. Phuket. And uh, loving it, but we were so pissed 
there was that moment where I'm like halfway in and I'm falling over and then I'm like, you realise, shit, I can't swim. I've fucking got to get out of here. Quick panic. But in that, I just sat on the sandy bit and oh, let it hang out and think that we should actually avoid the hygiene issues and just swim naked, Emma. That's what I'm here to champion. Really. <laughs> There's so many things in what you've just said. <laughs> you, would you ever allow a dog? Is there a, is there such thing? Oh, because the dog's swimming the worst bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think in hindsight, looking you know back at it, we were trying to have a foursome with this Danish couple. <laughs> That's kind of what it sounded like. Why did you need the dogs? <laughs> so, so the dogs, actually. The dogs. This So this Danish couple, uh, one was called Jeanette. Uh, Rich name for a Danish person. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Sorry about it. I didn't do a fucking <laughs> background ancestry. Oh, that's a French name. Are you, are you sure? Are you lying, actually? Yeah. I can't remember his name. Maybe it might have been Dave. <laughs> <laughs> something, it was something like that. But they were telling us they'd actually rescued, on a previous holiday, they'd rescued two stray dogs as their own dogs and were showing us their own dogs back in Denmark. So it was their fault we had loads of dogs. There's so word had got around with the stray dogs that this couple... Adopted dogs. I think they'd already petted a couple on the way in. <laughs> Outside the story, out loud. There's not a single bit of untruth in any of this story. No, but now we're back to petting, and that's an entirely different use yeah. of the word yeah. as well. Yes, maybe that's where yeah. it came from. Well, the time when the dogs get to go in the pools now, which is sounds a little bit strange, but lots of outdoor lidos do a day at the end of the season that's like bring your dog to get in and they let the dogs go in the outdoor lidos so before they empty, empty them. It. Yeah, that's cool. They have a great time. Well, it's just to go back to your little Thailand desk. Don't think we need to. No, but it's such a magnificent image. I'm imagining it's like a full moon and the waves are flat and there's, what's her name, Jeanette. Jeanette. And Jeanette, Dave. Jeanette and Dave, Dave. Are bobbing around. Yeah. Daisy's looking at you going, what the fuck are you well, doing? Well, I semi panicked about her because at one point she was lying down like looking at those stars and the, and the waves were like splashing. <laughs> <and she's> like, <laughs> I was like, get up, get up, quick. This is fucking turning weird. <laughs> turning weird? It turned weird a long time ago. He then went back to the hotel. <laughs> Got in the swimming pool. Just to clean so, off. To clean off all the beach. Four or five o'clock in the morning, went to their hotel, got in the swimming With pool. With the dogs? No, dogs are getting <laughs> dogs. Oh, God. Got in the swimming pool. And then it was kicking off. They'd called the police because it was all rowdy. There's quite a few. And, uh, <laughs> and then the police came. I was trying to get us out of there because I was shitting it now. I was like, what the fuck's going on? I'm spinning out go and try and order a taxi, think that that's a taxi, end up being really rude to the taxi driver. I hope you didn't call him scra- a <laughs> <laughs> I, pr- I probably actually did. He fucking st- I've got the scar here where they scratched me. With On your wrist. Really thick. The taxi driver scratched you? Yeah, it was such a weird fight. <laughs> a strange move. Really weird fight. They went back to the swimming pool and had to hide because they rang the police. And so I'm like hiding in the swimming pool and around. In the pool? Now. In the water or? Yeah. What do you mean? In the pool? What, in that... Waterless part of the pole. No, you mean under the water, yeah. don't you? Like, oh, yeah. Like a sort of soldier in Vietnam. Not like a hole in the pole with no water. Just his yeah, eyes over I mean. the water. Yeah, like yeah. that. And yeah. luckily they all went away and then we eventually made it back to our hotel. Can we talk about lifeguarding? Like, that was only a small snippet of water-related incidents. From, from a lifeguarding perspective, I feel I need to say, please don't swim drunk. 
Ah. Please don't swim in unlifeguarded water. Good. These are these are all scary things that you would definitely get told off for doing by a lifeguard. A lot of fun. Advice. Lot of don't fun, do no it. doubt, but don't stay do safe, it. yeah. All all jokes aside from when I was thinking about bombs, I think of them as cowardly. Yeah. In terms of warfare my little knowledge of what I have of it, but you've got to be a fucking absolute melt and a coward. I'm, I'm the same. I'm the same. I've, I've interrogated bomb makers and uh, I've been literally sitting as, as, as close as we are and having to sort of, you know, there, there's been someone else speaking to them first, interviewing them, you know, someone else speaking to them, they've said nothing. And then I've sort of gone technical on them, you know, almost geek to geek, if you like, to a bomb maker and had a pistol on my thigh and just been, you know, making friendship, you know, finding empathy, you know, breaking down the barriers and actually thinking, you know, and I'm not a violent person, but thinking all I really want to do is, uh, is take this pistol out and shoot you because they are the most evil, twisted people I've ever, ever come across, to be honest with you. Because exactly as you say, Joe, they're, they're just cowards. It's a really indiscriminate, evil way to, uh, to harm people. You know, because you never know who's going to be on the receiving end of that bomb, basically. So they're evil. And were you involved in the 7-7 London bombings? What was your involvement with that? Yeah, I'd, um, I'd got involved in researching suicide terrorism as it happened. And then um, I was working in an intelligence job in central London. And when the first reports came through, um, I got called in to see the chief of defence intelligence. And I actually thought I was in trouble. You know, that was the usual reason I'd go in to see <laughs> someone at that level. And uh, he confirmed what had happened, you know, and said, we want you to go over to Cobra which is the cabinet office briefing rooms where all the sort of, you know, the cabinet go and, uh, and, and make all the decisions in, in time of a national crisis or emergency. So, um, yeah, went over to Downing Street, you know, through this sort of labyrinth of corridors and, uh, and then rocked up there and, and went in there as an advisor and it was, uh, did it on 7-7 and again on 21-7 when it happened a couple of weeks later as well. And that was really surreal, actually, yeah, because I had family, like many people that were in London or worked in London or lived in London, you know, had family that were living here as well. And it was that surreal moment where you sort of, you know, you phone up your relatives and say, right, are you okay? Don't go anywhere, stay at home, whatever. And then, yeah, and then you get to work and, um, and we, yeah, tried to track them down. But obviously, they were all dead pretty much by the time we uh, discovered who they were. On the way here, it was late getting here. And it was partly because they'd shut the tube and they said, oh, there's been an emergency. And there was quite a lot of police around. I, I think there was nothing major, but it just flicked my mind to the fear that people would have had on that day yeah. or similar days and the panic, all from someone deciding, right, this is how I'm going to make my point. And it just goes back to the point I made earlier again. You fucking piece of shit. Yeah. To do that to people, and you go, well, that's why I'm, I'm grateful to, oh, wow, this is such a blow smoke, lick-ass moment. <laughs> that's why I'm grateful for people like yourself and the knowledge that you and others have to stop that as much as you can. I don't mean specifically that those sorts of bombings, but you, the work you're doing out in Iraq and and previously done, you're saving lives. And it's a shame that you have to exist. Yeah. But I think it's brilliant that you do. So thanks, mate. Well, that's very kind, mate. Thank you very much, yeah. And that concludes Best Bits Part Duh. Well, Joe and I hope you have enjoyed this year as much as we have. We will be back in the new year with heaps of fantastic guests. In the meantime, have a truly magnificent festive period. 
go overboard and we'll see you next time crowd network a place where you belong sports social podcast network